Tonight's study, A Better High Priest. Uh, We have seen in the first four chapters of Hebrews clear and convincing proof that Christ is superior in his person. We learn Jesus is better as he stands in the place over the prophets. We learn Jesus is better as he shines brighter than the angels. And we learn Jesus is better as he stands over Moses and Joshua. We learn Jesus is better as his ministry provides a greater spiritual rest than the law. And we will learn tonight in chapter 5, Christ is better, is a better high priest. In chapter 5, uh, will reveal the priestly theme and the end in chapter 4 by uh, looking first at the nece- necessary qualities um, to serve as a priest. So we're going to look at those qualities um, and credentials that the priest had, as well as our priest, Jesus Christ. So let's begin with Hebrews 5, verse 1. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifice for sin. The author is telling us the high priest must be human, selected from among men, since he is appointed to represent man before God. Um, you're dealing with a righteous God, and then we have sinful man. The mission of the priest was twofold. First, the high priest represented the people before God. Um, That was his duty. No one but the priest could come directly before God. The The person would have to come to the priest with their offering, and they would have to lay their hands upon the head of their sacrifice and confess on the head of the ox or the lamb all their sins. The priest then would kill the ox and lamb, and he would take and offer it as a sacrifice unto God for the sinner. The priest represented that person before God. So you see, God has a special order and a special plan. How Man was to approach the priest. The priest then would approach uh, the father. Second, then as the priest came from offering the sacrifice, he would then represent God to the people. He was a mediator and he was a go-between between God and man. His ministry, the high priest ministry, consists of offering gifts and sacrifices for sins. This gives man a hope in dealing with the problems created by human sin. Look at verses 2 and 3. He, the high priest, uh, can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sin. Aaron and his descendants were men with weaknesses. They were also sinners themselves and were not exempt from needing to offer sacrifices. Just because an individual was a priest didn't mean that they didn't uh, commit sin. Before the priest could actually offer your or my sin, uh, my sacrifices of sin, they had to offer sacrifices of sins for themselves. Um, this priest did not have a direct approach. He had to first take care of his own sins before he could offer uh, others' sin. Um, This priest had to be compassionate and uh, sympathetic. We're told he must deal compassionately and gently with those who are ignorant uh, that have gone astray. The ignorant and erring is a description of those who had sinned. 
um, ignorant or unintentionally as a result they were strained from the precepts of God. Because this priest was taken from men, the priest himself understood the weakness and the faults for he himself experienced the same weaknesses. They weren't this perfect human. And I think sometimes we think of priests, um, even today, as these men that don't sin. There's no one who does not sin. The only one who does not sin was Jesus Christ, who died for us. And because this priest experienced sin himself, he could be there that, therefore that much more compassionate as people came to him and as they shared with him, he could be compassionate. Um, being taken from men, there could be obviously no self-righteousness because the priest himself fell short and he could, only, he could totally understand their situation. But unfortunately, uh, many in the priesthood became correct, corrupted. Uh, they had that attitude of being superior um, and being condescending. Um, I'll never forget, as we were studying one time, and I remember studying about the high priests in the New Testament, and some of them would, when they walked in town, they would walk with their robes like this, totally collected together so that they wouldn't touch um, a sinner or some person who was unclean, and they tried to look straight ahead so they wouldn't look at. And it was just really a facade. It was a lie, you know, because you can't. And Jesus, I mean, the Lord ordained these priests that they could minister to the people. How do you minister to the people if you're so detached from them? And they were never to be detached from the people. They were to be able, they were to be God's instrument in, in blessing and ministering to them. God's intention was that the priests properly represent the position God that had intended. In explaining to the people uh, the purpose of each offering, they would be dealing with an assortment of problems ranging from fear to insecurity to anxiety to guilt to shame. The list went on and on. The same issues that you and I deal with today. It was an act of grace on God's part that he instituted the whole Levitical system. God never intended for us to carry the shame, never intended us to carry the guilt or whatever we deal with from the very go-get. As he uh, instituted the Levitical priesthood, he wanted man to be able to come and to offer his sacrifices and to leave that guilt, leave that shame there. Uh, this was intended to, to, to display two things. First, there was a way for sinners to approach God through gifts and sacrifices. And second, since the high priest dealt with them in a gentle manner, that would give them a picture of God's character as well. And can you imagine if there was a priest who was condescending and self-righteous? What kind of picture would they be uh, portraying about God? Not a very good one. I serve a loving God. I serve an awesome God, just as the children of Hebrew served an awesome God as he prepared the Levitical priesthood. The more you study God's word, the more you begin to grasp a greater understanding of God's compassion and love to sinful man. It was his desire always to restore man, to bring him back into that position in that place. 
Notice we're told in verse 4 that no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. A man must be appointed to this priestly office by God. No one can make himself a priest, let alone a high priest. You learned in your homework that those who took it upon themselves to fulfill this position reaped a grim consequence and severe judgments, as in the case of Uzziah. If you got to that part of your homework, you understand as King Uzziah went in to perform the priestly duty, the priest said, get out. And he refused. And as he wanted, as he desired to light that incense, what happened to him? God smote him with leprosy. He was a leper till the day he died. There are severe consequences. And you know what? I don't like to mess with God's things. When God says something, he means what he says. In Exodus 28, Aaron was chosen by God to be high priest. He was chosen from men, but he did not choose the position himself. God ordained him to be the, um, to be the high priest. Remember, the high priest was ordained for men. He was taken from among men, but was ordained to come before God. The sacrifices were to be offered at the right place, at the right time, in order to be accepted by God. Not just anyone could offer that sacrifice. It had to be the high priest. And um, if not, we are to understand that they do not take this lightly. No high priest was to ever take their job lightly. Do you remember when Aaron's son offered strange fire? Obviously, they took it lightly. God barbecued him. We don't take the position God gives lightly. Um, the ministry is not something that man decides to do one day. It's a calling. Uh, that has not changed today. Anyone who is a pastor today, God must ordain them to be a pastor. There are people that, that go into the ministry that have no business being in the ministry. Um, a piece of paper doesn't make you a minister. Someone laying their hands on you doesn't make you a minister. God calls every pastor to be a minister. It's not something they do on their own. And that's not something they take lightly. I can tell you from experience, my husband does not take his position lightly. He takes it very seriously. We serve an awesome God, and he, he does awesome things in our lives. But he's a very serious God, and he lays down certain um, rules that we are to follow, and we don't take them lightly. Um, no amount of education can make a minister a minister. It has to be God calling that individual. Um, note also that the high priest, note his faults. Uh, in verse one, he was a man from uh, he was a man from among men. Verse two, he was affected with common weaknesses. Verse three, he was also sinful, like the people he represented. And in verse four, he has no honor himself, but only from God. The reason that high priest was who he was was because God called him, because we know that he was a sinful man. I say this because God never intended for there to continually be a priest offering up continual sacrifices in an ongoing, imperfect system. All along, God planned to one day pronounce it is finished and to establish a permanent priesthood with a perfect priest. The author begins comparison and contrast between earthly and priesthood typified by Aaron and the heavenly priesthood established by Christ. We look at um, 
Jesus' credentials. The author will show how Jesus fulfills the qualifications as the high priest, though he is of a different order than that of Aaron. First, Jesus fulfills the credentials of being called and appointed by God to be the high priest. In uh, verse 5, we're told, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Meaning, Jesus did not take this position as the great high priest on his own. It was God who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you, which you find also in Psalms 2, verse 7. We're told in John 8, verse 54, Christ glorified not himself. Jesus did not intrude himself into the great office of high priest. As Aaron was called by God, so Jesus was appointed to the office by God the Father. Look at verse 6. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Actually, the author is quoting Psalms 110 verse 4. This stresses the right of Jesus to serve because his appointment came directly from God and is confirmed in Psalms 2 and Psalms 110. The difference between Aaron's earthly priesthood and Jesus' heavenly priesthood stands in a sharp contrast in the order of Melchizedek. Christ is a priest forever. Aaron died, his sons died, and every priest after him died. I would say that makes him a better high priest. Second, uh, we'll observe our Lord's credentials and the humanity of Jesus. We learned Aaron and his descendants were taken from man with their weaknesses and sin, which understandably allowed them to be sympathetic to God's people. But how could the divine son, who was neither sinful nor weak, be sympathetic and become the kind of high priest that the people needed. Verses 7 and 8 will demonstrate Jesus' preparation for his high priestly ministry. Look at verses 7 and 8. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement uh, cries and tears to him who was able to save him out from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. In the days of his flesh, meaning he had become human, he was on the earth in a human body with human frailties. Um, I want to jump to verse 8, and then we'll go back to verse 7. Verse 8 tells us, Though he was a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. How could the Son of God learn obedience? In the same way any son must learn obedience, by the experience of life. We must remember that our Lord in his earthly walk lived by faith in the Father's will. As God, he needed to learn nothing. But as the Son of God, come in human flesh, he had to experience that which um, his people would experience so that he might be able to minister as their high priest. As God-man in human flesh, he had to learn what was involved in obedience. In this way, he identified with you and I. Obedience to God is never easy in a fallen world and in a frail body, not even for a sinless person. To pray all night, to pray all night instead of sleeping, 
To go without food for 40 days was not easy. Suffering weakness and experiencing adversity was a new experience for the divine son. He knew what it was to grow and to mature in Luke 2.52. He experienced hunger and thirst as well as weariness in John chapter 4. He also faced temptations to sin and persecution by the hands of sinful men as well as the devil himself in Matthew 4. From birth to death in his human body, our Lord experienced the infirmities of human nature, yet sinless. As he neared the completion of the lesson in the school of suffering, which was manifested in the garden, we're told in verse 7, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. The writer focuses on the Lord's Prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. For the first time in the ministry, he appeals to his disciples for help, asking them, watch and pray for him. Do you remember that? As he was in the garden, he told his Peter, James, and John, watch and pray. I'm going to go a little further, and I'm going to pray. But he said, watch and pray. That was the first time he had asked his disciples to pray for him. When Jesus wept before, it was on the account of others. But here in the garden, he wept for himself. The prayers and the supplication of Jesus were a sacrifice offering, the offering of himself for the sins of the whole world. With strong crying, meaning uncontrollable crying, tears which described the intensity of his suffering and his passion. So intense was the moment that um, Luke tells us in Luke 22, verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then in, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. We're told also before the third prayer, as he prayed three different times in the garden, before the third prayer, an angel was sent to strengthen him in Luke 22, verse 43. In his humanity, we see his, weak, his weakness as he cries to the Father. Um, Philippians 2, verse 7 tells, tells us, speaking of Christ, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of man, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We learned previously in Hebrews 2, verses 17 and 18, therefore in all things he had to be like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. This is the high priest, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for you and I. In Hebrews 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Jesus Christ. He experienced the ultimate in suffering, especially when you think of the cross. And because of it, he is able to sympathize with his people when they are suffering. Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 16 tells us, Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was on all points uh, tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come 
come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It was not our Lord's exaltation that led to sympathy, but his humanity. Such suffering characterized the whole of his life. From the womb to the tomb, they became acute and intense beyond human measurement as he prayed that night in the garden and as he endured the cross. The readers of the book of Hebrews were going through difficult times themselves, but they had not yet resisted unto blood, in Hebrews 12, verse 4 tells us. Their goods had been seized, and they had been ridiculed, in Hebrews 10, 34, but they had not been crucified or forsaken by the Father as our Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus was helped in his time of need, he can sympathize in their time of need, Jesus, our high priest, was definitely able to sympathize with their agony and with their distress, as he so graciously sympathized with us in our time of need. All this reveals is that he is a better high priest. He became one of us. He endured that he may be like you and I, not self-righteous, not condescending, contrary compassionate and gentle. No matter what our difficulty is, no matter what our circumstances, Jesus is able to understand our need and to help us. We need never doubt his ability to sympathize and to strengthen you and I. Those of us who have a personal relationship with him have felt personally his comfort, his love, his compassion, his grace in our time of need. And there is not a comfort like it. Um, Karen and I were talking the other day that sometimes as you minister to individuals, as people minister to you and I, as you're going through difficulties, it's wonderful, it's great, but it doesn't compare to the compassion that Jesus has when you're going through something and he ministers to you about that certain situation. It's like, okay, I can handle this. All right, I I can deal with these situations. As he ministers to our heart, he is that high priest that comes in. He is that high priest that is gentle. He is that high priest that is compassionate as he deals with our um, distresses, our hardships. Um, As his children, there are times that Um, He puts us through difficulties that we might better understand the needs of those who we comfort. Sometimes as you go through difficulties and hardships, it's because God wants to use you to comfort others. And in um, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. It is amazing some of the things that we go through. We can look back and praise God because we're that much more equipped to minister to others. Third, our Lord demonstrated his credentials in uh, the ministry as high priest, offering gifts and sacrifices for his sins. Uh, We've been allowed a small glimpse into what Jesus endured as we look at the garden. As you, if you have time, take the time to study what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and get a grasp of what he went through. God allows us a glimpse to see what he endured for you and I. As he faced the cross, it was not the physical suffering that burdened Jesus, but the fact that he would be made sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2.24 tells us, Who gave himself 
bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. He would bear on his body the sins of the whole world, but also he would be separated from the Father. Jesus knew he would experience broken fellowship with the Father for the first and only time from all eternity. In his prayer in Gethsemane, our Lord did not oppose the Father, but prayed, not my will, but yours be done. You know, prayer is amazing because it changes things. And most of all, it changes us. How many times have we prayed and prayed and prayed about a situation and we didn't get the answer we wanted? Lord, I thought you were going to handle this situation a little differently. And, and in our flesh, we're a little disappointed, aren't we? But if you look to Jesus as he prayed, he said, not my will be done, but yours. Prayer is not so much to change the, the mind of God because God knows what's best. Prayer is to change our heart. And as Jesus went to the cross, as he prayed in the garden, he said, not my will be done, but yours. Um, The cry of acceptance in the garden of Gethsemane was the concluding evidence of the son's obedience to the father. He summed it up. He summed it up there. Remember, he said, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. The cry of acceptance in the Garden of Gethsemane was the concluding evidence of the son's obedience to the father. He was not praying to be spared from death, but to be saved out of death. He had prophesied his own death and made it clear that he was laying down his life of his own free will. You remember in John, he said, no man takes my life. I lay it down of myself. Jesus willingly went to the cross, willingly laid down his life. In Hebrews 5, verse 7, it tells us God heard his prayer, and it states, and was heard because of his godly fear, which God answered in his prayer by raising him from the dead. In Luke 24, verse 46, it says, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, On the third day, we can rejoice because he did rise from the dead. Because he rose, we have life. In Revelation 1, verse 18, Jesus says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus, that sacrificial lamb, lives forevermore. No one ever died the kind of death that Jesus died, being a living sacrifice for all. He was made sin for us. Men have died because of their own sins. There is not one person who has not sinned. Romans 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one person who has died on this, on this earth that was not a sinner. But there was only one person who died without sin, and that was Jesus. Only Jesus was without sin, and he died for the sins of the whole world. He was that sacrificial lamb. The high priest atoned for the sins of the nation on Yom Kippur on October 10th, but Jesus, our high priest, was atoning for the sins of the world, not just a nation, but for the whole world, every man, woman, and child, past, present, and future. He died for them all. 
No priest uh, ever was the gift and the sacrifice. In 1 Peter 2, verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. And in 1 Peter three eighteen, for Christ also suffered once for sins, for the just and the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Now we're told in verses 9 and 10, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, he has made salvation possible for us because he went to the cross, because he was obedient to the will of the Father, and because he learned this obedience and he submitted to the Father. As a result, he has become the source of eternal salvation to believers who trust and obey him. He is the only mediator between God and man. He is a better high priest. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, it says, And there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Remember, it was only the uh, high priest who could offer gifts and sacrifice for daily sins. No priest ever offered himself. Jesus is our high priest and our perfect gift and sacrifice once and for all. Unlike the high priest who had to continually offer daily gifts and sacrifice, the Old Testament priesthood of Aaron is finished along with its continual sacrifices. Jesus alone is the final priest and the final sacrifice. Um, But unfortunately, to the author's despair, he at this time can go no deeper. He can share no deeper truths with them because they were dull of hearing. Look at their spiritual state in verse 11. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The author has so much more he wants to share with them but they're not able to receive it because of their dullness. His readers should have had a great understanding of God's truth, but unfortunately they were not able to comprehend or grasp uh, the author's teachings. You and I have all talked to different people and tried to uh, explain different spiritual truths, only to look into their face and realize they don't get it. They're they're clueless to what you're talking about. This was... um, the Hebrews at the, at this time. And sometimes there's good reason for it, and sometimes there isn't. I think of Acts 18, uh, when you read about a man named Apollos, who was limited in his sharing about Christ. And Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and gave him a better understanding. And God used him greatly. And that's understandable. Uh, but when you have walked with the Lord for a number of years... And you have so much uh, access to the things of God. It's not acceptable. It's not understandable. Today we live in a world of so much knowledge. We have Bible in small print, big print, um, computer, uh, internet. I mean, there's, there's no reason. There's no reason someone can't know who Jesus is. There's no reason why someone cannot grow in the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
Hosea 4, verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. These believers willfully were deficient. They should have been healthy spiritually, but they were willfully starving themselves. We've all seen people who willfully starve themselves. Maybe it's bulimic. Maybe I forget what the other one is. Um, And you look at them. I'll never forget. I remember a, a young lady who literally was starving herself because she thought she looked fat. And she really looked like a walking skeleton. I'll never forget it. It was horrible. And this was these believers. They were willingly starving themselves. We can become dull because we refuse to grow. We can become dull because our bad habits um, prevent healthy developments. These Hebrew believers had uh, developed um, bad habits spiritually. You know, I have these friends that live in another country. And living in this other country, there really is no church near them where they can grow and fellowship. So the husband has taken upon himself that he will teach and he will minister to his family on Sundays and whenever. And you know what? When I talk to this family, they are strong. They're mature believers. So we're without excuse. Do you want to grow? Do you want to know him? Um, it's a choice on the individual's part. The author goes on in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. By now they should have been teachers. This describes their spiritual degeneracy. And let me tell you, ladies, we're all teachers. Whether you're teaching your children your co-workers, your friends, we're all teachers. We're all living testimonies of Jesus Christ. Whether you like it or not, we're all teachers. And we need to be good teachers. What kind of teacher are you? You know, it's wonderful. I don't know about you, but when God shows you something and ministers to you in the word of God, you can't wait to share it with somebody else. I can't wait to share with my daughter or my husband or or Karen or um, whoever. I want to share what God is showing me. And that hopefully that's what we're doing as believers. But be, but uh, rather than becoming teachers, they preferred milk rather than solid food. And because of it, they had stunted their growth. In verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Unskilled in the word of righteousness characterizes the inexperience of a new Christian. Everybody understands a new Christian, and you love watching them grow. But when you're 30 years in the Lord and you're acting like a new believer, it's not cute. It's not cute at all. Just as a baby is unskilled when it comes to thinking or handling themselves, immature believers continue to dwell on the ABCs and the basics of the Christian faith. And I can't help but think about the emergent church and many other churches that water down the word and leave their people exposed to so many heresies as well as being ill-equipped. Ladies, we cannot afford to be ill-equipped. In the days in which we live, we cannot afford it. We are living in dark days. We are living in very dark days, and we need to know the Word of God. We need to be skilled in the Word of God. We need to be able to run everything we do through the Word of God. I don't know if you understand how valuable the Word of God is. I think that's one of the things that God has ministered so much is that 
I want to know the word of God, that when things come into my life, I can run it through the word of God and he can minister to my heart how to deal, how to handle the different circumstances in my life. That's what he wants to do in our life. That's why we need to grow. That's why we need to learn more about him. In fact, the author says these Hebrews needed to relearn the first principle, principles or elementary principles of the oracles of God in verse 12. Um, I know a gentleman who has incredible charisma. He handles himself well in his trade, and he appears to be very spiritual to his peers at first sight. He claims to be a believer, but you spend just a little bit of time with this person, and he is so limited. He is so ignorant, and he does an incredible disservice to the Lord's name. And his behavior is offensive, really, to the Christian. That I find it embarrassing that he even calls himself a Christian. Many have tried to minister to this individual, but because of his pride and his pleasures of sin for a season, he refuses to acknowledge his ignorance. And he accuses those that minister to him of being judgmental. You're judging me. Oh, yeah, you better believe it. (laughs) When you give such a horrible picture of my Lord, I want to bring it to your attention. I want to bring it to Isn't that what Priscilla and Aquila did to Apollos? We want to instruct. We we don't want to be condemning. We don't want to. But when someone refuses, when someone knowingly refuses, Because they're caught up with the world and the world's good. How many people do you know today that are so caught up in the the pleasures of this world that they refuse to grow? They refuse to grow in the things of God. There are too many people like this who refuse to let go of the attachments of the world. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, Paul tells us, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. There are too many people who refuse to put away childish things. They refuse to grow. They refuse to mature. And then we're told in verse 14, But solid food belongs to those who are of a full age, that is, those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We must have our senses exercised daily, meaning a daily workout morally and spiritually. How else will you be able to discern good teaching as well as discern the bad teaching? The word prepares you for life, as I shared earlier. The author describes in verse 14 three things that characterize spiritual maturity. Partaking of solid food spiritually, maintaining practice and righteous living, and third, exhibiting a trained and sense of discernment. Another translation of verse 14 reads, Solid food is for those who are mature, who have trained themselves to recognize the difference between right and wrong and to do what is right. I love that translation. Do you want to gain the ability to understand the things that come into your life spiritually? You have to train yourself in the scriptures to be better equipped. The response of the believer is to come, to grow, to learn, and to act upon what you learn. We are required to be doers of the word. Doesn't God's word say grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Doesn't God's word tell us but grow in the Lord and in the power of his might? We will continue, he will continue to make himself accessible to us 
if we but only search and draw near to him. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God wants to show us new aspects of his glory every day. Are you open to explore the depths of his riches, of his infinite being? When Moses saw the glory of God, he didn't stop there. He begged that he might see more. He said in Exodus 33, verse 18, show me your glory. David said in Psalms 42, verses 1 and 2, as a deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul. For you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you? David said also in Psalms 27, verse 8, When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. How much exactly do you want of God? And learning and understanding that Jesus is better in every way should cause us to go deeper with him.